Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I'm your host, Kate McCluskey, and today I'm joined for a very special Christmas-themed episode by Shelly Tsao. Hi, Shelly. Hi! I'm so excited for Christmas. Yay! <laughs> so we had, this has been um, a little bit of a point of contention. I was, I was trying to think of who of my friends love Christmas the most. Me. And I thought of you. <laughs> because, I don't know, I just, I I'll, when I picture Christmas, I think of Shelly putting up Christmas decorations and talking about Christmas songs. And we have another friend who we can leave unnamed who has <laughs> said that they actually love Christmas the most. Which uh, is so Shelly, would you like to your title? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, th- sorry for interrupting you. Uh, that's wrong. <laughs> uh, I would just like to point out that I watched like five trashy Christmas movies last Sunday in one day. So. <laughs> Get back to me when uh, you've done that. <laughs> Hugh must not be named. <laughs> oh, man. It's, you know, it's fine either way. I'm glad people love Christmas, love the holidays. I think especially this year, it's fun to have something to look forward to. And yeah, I don't know, for sure. decorate, decorate. I like to decorate. I like baking cookies. That's that's my favorite thing. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Do you want to know what we're doing this week? Yes, I would love to. So the the book we're doing this week is Hercule Poirot's Christmas or A Holiday for Murder. I think it ha- it might have actually several other names. It was renamed several times. And it's obviously an Agatha Christie with Hercule Poirot. Love that. Mm, okay. And it's, it's the way it's done, Shelley, is there's parts throughout the book and each part is a different day leading up to Christmas or throughout Christmas. So it starts on the 22nd and the book ends, I think on the 27th. Okay. Okay. So throughout those, those five, five or six days. Oh, I am drinking Christmas tea this week as I was last week. Oh, I forgot about I'm that. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> I've been sipping on it while I've been chatting and it's, I've said it before. It's my favorite tea. I don't know where you can buy it. Cause I, it just comes in like a, plastic baggie near my house <laughs> sorry what <laughs> it sounds like you picked it up off the street <laughs> no there's a store in my neighborhood called the mercantile i guess yeah. i can link it I'll, I'll link to it on uh, my next the instagram post that will go along with this episode on tuesday mm. uh, oh. but it is my absolute favorite tea i'm gonna stock up on it this christmas so i can drink it all year <laughs> It doesn't need to be Christmas. I just, it's so good. I don't know what it is. It just tastes like Christmas. Smells like Christmas. Do you want to smell like Christmas all year long? Is that the goal here? (laughs) (laughs) That was a weird way of saying that. (laughs) Yes, you do. I don't know. I love it. It makes me happy. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm happy for you. (laughs) Thank you. I forgot to, I forgot about the tea thing. It's, it's like eight o'clock at night, so I've already had my cup of tea for the day. Yeah, that's, I, I might be a little wired up for this. Oh no! <laughs> Maybe try a decaf version of the Christmas tea next time. No, it won't be the same. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, should we get should we get into this? Yeah. So, uh, part one, as I said, starts on December twenty second, and we 
as with most of the books, we kind of get an introduction to a bunch of the characters. And so where we start is we're on a train with a man from, if this is from the perspective of this man called Stephen, who's around 40 something and he's coming from South Africa and now he's in England. Like he's taking a train out of London. Okay. And he's kind of he's kind of talking about how this is his first time in England, his first time in London, and how his like first impression of it was like it's a beautiful city, it's ma- not magical, but um, you know, it's like it's huge, it's I don't know, cool. <laughs> like I'm not exactly how he's describing it, but as he's leaving London, he's just thinking it's so dirty. So it's kind of his impression has changed. Interesting. When when's yeah. this set? Uh, this book was written in 1938, so around around that like Depression era time uh, i see okay and he he's kind of having these thoughts where he's we're not sure what he's thinking about but you can tell he's second guessing himself and then he says to himself no he's gonna go he's gonna do what he came here to do so there's there's some purpose that he's traveled from south africa to england and we're not sure what it is okay and so as he's on the train he's like looking through the the cars to find somewhere to sit when he sees this what he describes as a beautiful exotic girl so, so exotic kind of basically exotic could mean anything that's not British. Lovely. So, this, so who knows what that means? To this this girl is like I think Spanish, is what she is, and so like maybe like dark hair, maybe like a a more like brown complexion. Okay. Yeah, more tanned than. Yeah, British yeah. people. <laughs> so he sees her and immediately is like, I need to know, I need to know more. Like he wants to get to know her. Meanwhile. A girl named Pilar. I don't know if that's actually how you pronounce her name. It's P I L A R. Sounds, but phonetically um, correct. I don't know. Later, but it's not Pillar. So I. <laughs> no, it's not that. But Pilar is how I'm going to go. Um, okay. Email me if I'm incorrect. I'll read your email out on the show. <laughs> so she's sitting in the train car. And she's kind of thinking about how the English smell funny. So she's she's clearly not British. And uh, it's it's because they're all wearing like winter coats that have come out of storage where they would have had mothballs in them. And she's like, mothballs are like, what a weird smell. Who does that? Presumably she doesn't have a similar winter and so doesn't have fur coats. Mm, okay, okay. And so she is also, she's thinking slash hoping that she will accomplish what she has set out to do. So kind of similar track as the guy, Steven. Okay. But they don't know each other, right? These are completely different people. Correct. They're okay. different people. But we kind of see everyone in her train car leave for lunch. And then Steven comes into the car. And so I don't think he's, oh. they're not introducing themselves, but we know that it's him based on the context of the story. Okay. And so they kind of start to some small talk and she tells him that she's from Spain it's so apparently I don't know if this is an actual thing that was going on at the time because I'm not a history major, but there was some some conflict going on in Spain. It <laughs> might not be a real war. This could be fake, or not fake, but um, well, wasn't there that whole like not exactly civil war, but there was something going on with like the, like some sort of Spanish uprising, right? All right. So the the way this story talks about it is just so she's so there's yeah there's conflict in her country and so there's a lot of fighting going on and she 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 goes into the story where she was trying to get to across the country to come to England and her driver the car was blown up like there was an explosion in the town they were in and his head was blown off. Whoa. Okay. And she goes through this whole description like oh yeah it was nothing like 
yeah, he died, but like everyone's gonna die one day. So I just like you know started walking. Uh, okay. Yeah. Very like okay. I wouldn't react that way, but maybe I yeah. would have lived in a war. <laughs> maybe. Oh, also I looked it up. It was the Spanish Civil War. Okay, there you go. Okay. So he notices that her luggage tag says Gorston Hall, and he finds that very interesting. He kind of like notes and is kind of like surprised by it. But again, we, as the readers, we're, we're just not sure what that is yet. Okay. So very shortly, we are at Gorston Hall, Gorston Hall hearing from Alfred Lee and his wife, Lydia, and they are discussing their Christmas arrangements at the house for that year. Okay. And so Lydia and Alfred, they um, they live with Alfred's father, whose name is Simon. And Simon had some business that he ran. And when he got to a certain age, Alfred was his son that took it over. Okay. And so Alfred is like very, very dedicated. He basically will do whatever Simon, his father, wants him to do. And for this reason, Lydia really does not like Simon. She feels that Alfred is kind of his slave and she doesn't like that relationship. Like she kind of wants Alfred to be able to like talk, be able to talk back to him, you know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so then they kind of talk about Alfred's two brothers and their wives that are coming from the hall um, for the holidays. So that is, I think Alfred's the oldest and he has a younger brother, George and George's wife, Magdalene. And George is a politician. So he has, he's like an MP in some district or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> politics etc yeah, yeah who knows what the british politics were like at that point <laughs> so that's george george and magdalene and then the youngest brother is david and his wife hilda and we'll get more description on them later but just to kind of give you their names <laughs> okay so horbury pops its head in to say two more guests should be expected and so horbury is um he's like the nurse attendant to simon lee the father so Simon is he's an older gentleman. He's, I forget what they say. Does he have like rheumatism or arthritis or something? Like he just, he can't get around very easily. And okay. so he has this kind of like nurse, valet, attendant, servant type person to help him out with whatever. Okay. So that's Horbury. And so he is, he's told them two more guests to be expected, a man and a young woman. And so Lydia thinks that this is just Simon scheming and he wants to have some fun. So he's, she kind of guesses that Simon didn't tell them about these guests until the last minute because he wanted to get like a reaction out of them. Mm-hmm. And he also isn't allowing them to go see, like go talk to him about it. He said like, he's like having his like afternoon nap. So he's like purposely timed it so that they have to just like sit with this mystery, you know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So then Lydia, Lydia kind of because she recognizes this is like, she is always purposefully trying to make sure that Simon doesn't get under his skin or like never make him have the fun he wants to have. You know what I mean? Like she sees through him. So is Simon actually like that kind of person or is that just Lydia's perception of him? We're not sure yet. We, we're going to meet Simon soon, okay. but that's, that's Lydia. We're just getting Lydia's perspective and she is described as like they describe her as like a greyhound because she's like very sleek and and fast <laughs> fast yeah just oh they they say the way she moves is graceful mm. i don't know take that as you will 
Okay. Anyway, she goes out to work on her. She has these like little garden arrangements that she does in um like sinks outside. Sinks? Yeah, like a sink basin. Basin. Oh, okay. Okay, I was thinking like like kitchen sinks, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it might be kind of that that kind of thing, but it's like decorative. Okay, and it's like not actually connected to any water. It's just like a pot. No, no, basically. no. Yeah, exactly. It's okay. like being used as a pot. Uh, and she she makes like um, diorama type displays in them. Oh, cool! So she's working on one right now of the Dead Sea. Interesting. I didn't know you could make a diorama of the Dead Sea in a garden. <laughs> <laughs> so then we jump to David and Hilda in their household, and they are discussing going to Gorston Hall. So you know where where Alfred, Lydia, and Simon are. And David really doesn't want to go. And so we're kind of getting this picture of him that he he hasn't been to the house since his mother died, like, 20 years ago or something. Like, when he was younger. Okay. And he he clearly does not like his father. He feels like his father treated his mother really badly and, like, she died of a broken heart. And so he he hates, hates his father, doesn't want to go to Gorston Hall, but they have this, like, invitation from Simon saying, I want to see all my family for Christmas. Please come. And so his wife, Hilda, think, she's kind of thinking to herself that he needs to let go of the past and that this will be good for them, good for David. He needs to, like, face his father because he's not a bogey. Like, he's not a monster. He needs to see that he's a, just, a, just an ordinary man. Okay. okay. So that's David and Hilda. And then we get to know George, Lee, and his wife. And so, again, George is an MP. And he, the kind of perspective, or sorry, the kind of description we get of him is that he's very careful with his money. Like he holds it close and doesn't like to spend anything. But his wife, Magdalene, is the opposite. So she spends all the money. (laughs) It sounds like it. And it sounds like she doesn't tell George. Like she opens a drawer that's like full of bills, like not money, but like debts type thing. Ooh, okay. Bills to pay. And so we kind of, we get this perspective of him based on one one of the things he says is that he wants to go to his father's house for Christmas because it means they won't have to pay the servants during Christmas. They can just like send them home when typically you actually have to pay your servants more during Christmas or something. So he's like really skimping out, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Does he like his dad? I think he's indifferent. I think his dad gives him like a, not a stipend, like an allowance every year like gives him money okay so i mean he doesn't hate him <laughs> but also i he doesn't see i don't know he doesn't seem to be the nicest person in the sense of like he just he doesn't seem bad particularly he just doesn't seem good like i don't know if you'd want to be around him like he's just too money focused that nothing else really yeah. matters yeah hmm. okay and so then interestingly they start discussing if simon his father has written a will and so they're talking about their other brother, Harry, who they think has probably been dis, dis, not disowned, but disinherited. So they, they think that he's been written out of the will. And then honestly, he's probably dead. So clearly they have this other brother who's just been not in the picture at all, not in contact. And then there had also been a daughter, Jennifer, who had died recently, but had left a daughter of her own. So a granddaughter to Simon. And she's a uh, she's some Spanish girl. So they're talking about the will. Ooh, oh my yeah. goodness! What if Stephen's actually Harry and he's trying to get with his niece? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> okay. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Continue. Good points. 
So then we go to Simon, back to back to Gorston Hall and up to Simon Lee, who's he's just finished his nap and he's kind of laughing because it's time to tell Lydia and Alfred about the guests and who they are. So we are kind of getting the we're getting the opinion that Lydia's right, that he's this is all a big joke to him. Like he's mm. he's just trying to have fun. Okay. So he he calls up Alfred and Lydia and tells them that the first guest they have is Pilar Estravados, who is Jennifer's daughter. So it is his granddaughter, Pilar. And she's coming to live at Gorston Hall. So not just for Christmas, but like full time. Wait, so Alfred and Lydia live there full time as well? And Simon's yes, just bringing this up on them? Yes, exactly. Ooh, okay. <laughs> exactly. There you go. There's this like, he wants to get a reaction out of them and see what they're going to do. Mm. So then the next person he says is that Harry Lee is coming and he calls Harry the prodigal son, which is a Bible term, I think, that I don't know. I don't know a lot of things. Me neither. <laughs> kind of the idea of like, yeah, he's he's like been away from home. He's been like kind of um, like a bad boy. <laughs> is that what prodigal means you now? Know. <laughs> no. No, it doesn't. But it's like you, you know, you've you've done you've done wrongs. You've you've done the wrong, wronged your family. I don't know. Uh, I'm making this up. <laughs> I hope someone at home, someone listening at home, knows what I'm talking about and is going. Of course, it's not that. It's this, you dummy. <laughs> Expect Anyways, like five um, emails. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get so many emails. <laughs> You're not emailing me, like. Get on get board. On. Yeah, get on that. <laughs> I, I did get a really nice email. I was going to reach out to them to ask if I could read it on the air, but they, they recommended a specific book. And I'm going to wait till I do that book and then I'll talk about it. Oh, that looks so nice. Yeah. So in any case, here Alfred does not like his brother Harry. He's very upset that Harry is coming for Christmas because we're not sure why, but for some reason, Alfred doesn't like Harry. Mm, okay. So they leave and then Simon is like super pleased with himself and like happy that he's like, you know, causing all this like mayhem. And then he goes to his safe in his room and pulls out a bag of uncut diamonds. So they look like little stones, pebbles, and he just like runs them through his fingers. So he's like, you know, Scrooge, basically. Why does he, that's so weird. Like, why do you just have that in your house? Right? (laughs) So we will get a little more information on that later. And also I call them Scrooge, but that's not true. He was very, like, generous with his money in terms of, like, giving to charities. Mm. Like, every year at Christmas, he would he would donate to, to whatever was in need or that kind of thing. So he not Scrooge in that sense. Okay. But still just likes his riches. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. We'll get to it. We'll just leave it at he pulls out a bag of diamonds. For <laughs> okay. So now that was part one. So that was December 22nd. Now we move on to December 23rd. So we're making progress, Shelley. Nice. I'm on page two of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so in on December 23rd, Tresillian. So Tresillian's like the main head butler. And he's been at the house for decades. Like since all these, these now older kids of Simon, since they were babies, Tresillian's been there. Okay. And so he goes to answer the door and someone just keeps ringing the doorbell and he's so annoyed. He's like, who is doing this? And he's like, it's probably just going to be carolers. Who do you think it's going to be, Shelly? Pilar. Wait, does he know that they're coming? 
Have they already arrived? I Did I miss this? I don't know. Oh, Good. okay. So he goes to the door and it's... it's. Wait, Steven? Is it Steven? <laughs> it's Harry. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, goodness. So all people could be. He's, he's shocked us because he doesn't... He like almost doesn't recognize him. He hasn't seen seen Harry in decades, it feels like. So he brings him into the, the drawing room where I think um, Lydia is and they kind of start talking. And then I think, yeah, it's Pilar has already arrived, I guess. That wasn't that wasn't in the story, but she's there. And so Harry meets both of them for the first time. So he jokes about Alfred being a stick in the mud, which obviously doesn't go over that well with Lydia, but whatever. That's it, it, Clearly, there's no love lost between the two of them. It's not like... Harry loves Alfred. Alfred hates Harry. They both seem to not be fans of each other's. Okay. While they're talking, Alfred comes into the room and they have a very strained reaction to each other. It's a little uncomfortable. I think they shake hands with straight faces. I think Pilar remarks later, she's like, that was weird. Like, that's how people greet each other here, I think. <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of that. <laughs> then... Later, Pilar is sitting by the fire with her grandfather, with Simon Lee, and he's kind of telling her all about his life and like all the, all the crazy things he's done and yada, yada, yada. And he tells her, or he calls himself a sinner. And he says that he cheated on his wife many times and he probably has an army of kids, like well, whatever, they, around the country, around the world. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. So he's kind of, just, he's not describing himself that favorably. But Pilar says that she likes him and that she likes that he's wicked. So she's she's kind of like, doesn't care about all that. She's kind of saying that if she wasn't a woman, she'd like to be an adventurer, but that it wasn't looked upon favorably for a woman to do that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like she's kind of saying she wishes she was a man because that's the kind of person she'd like to be, which yeah. is interesting. <laughs> that would not fly in this, in this decade. I don't think so. <laughs> Um, so when, after she says that, he kind of tells her about South Africa. So now we kind of find it a little bit more. He had been in industry in South Africa. I think, I guess working with diamonds, that's where the diamonds had come from is he had been maybe an owner of a mine or something like that. And so he shows them to her and shows him out like the uncut and she's kind of going, these are diamonds, but they're not shiny. And he's like, yes, this is what they look like before they get cut. And for some reason that's more what not valuable to him but he's that's what he wants he does he doesn't want them to be polished and cut he likes them in their raw form okay okay (laughs) then i think there's a knock on the door and he tells her to put them away in the safe okay so later that day it seems hilda and david have have arrived um because hilda is looking around for david and she finds him in his mother's old room so what like i guess would have been her bedroom back in the day and she Hilda tries to get David to leave because she's kind of going, there's no way this is good for you to be in this room reminiscing about your dead mother who's been dead for decades, you know, mm-hmm. just, I guess it's to a certain point, like it's, it's good to remember, remember her, but the way you're doing it is unhealthy. Yeah. Did, did Hilda ever even meet his mom? No, no. She died basically when David was a, not a child, but a youth. Oh, okay. So I don't, I don't know how old he was, but old enough. I think that he was able to leave his house as soon as his father had passed away. Okay. David doesn't follow this advice. He doesn't listen to Hilda. He starts to play the piano, but he has to stop abruptly because he just starts to shake. So clearly it's just like the emotion is too much. Okay. So we're seeing that side of him. So then the bell rings again 
And as Tristillion opens the door, he kind of, he sees the man standing in front of him and has this feeling of like deja vu. And the man asks to see Simon Lee and gives like a, an envelope and says, take this up to him to read, you know, because it's, 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 it's December 23rd. Like it's, and he's doesn't, it hasn't been invited or whatever. So this is like his calling card. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Is this man Steven? <laughs> It is Stephen, yes. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, Stephen Farr is his name, and he's the son of Ebenezer Farr, who was Simon's partner in South Africa in that diamond business. Oh, okay. My, I mean, my thought was Stephen was one of his his children that he didn't know he had. So this is better. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so Simon kind of calls him up and is so excited to see him because he, you know, him and Ebenezer have been great friends. And he, Simon insists that Stephen stay for Christmas. And uh, I think he calls up Lydia and says, prepare another room. Stephen's staying with us. And then he introduces um, Stephen to Pilar. So we know that they've already met, but they both kind of play it off as if they're meeting for the first time because they're, I don't know, why not? (laughs) better i'm not sure they don't need they don't need to let everyone know that they've met on the train yeah did they have like any kind of conversation on the train doesn't sound like it other than general chit chat okay i think that was like you know Stephen was surprised by the label on her bag yeah uh but they were only able it was a full train car they were only able to talk because people had left to go to the lunch car or the the cafeteria car or whatever and so when they come back there was no longer room i think Stephen had to leave Mm, okay so that was the 23rd, and now we move on to the 24th. So day before Christmas. I'll just pause before I move on. Do you have any questions or, or thoughts about anything that's going on? We're kind of still, I guess, at the introduction stage, but... I, I think I'm good with the questions. Like, I, I think you've explained yeah. everything. Yeah, I just... Well, all of my initial hypotheses have been wrong. So I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay silent for now. From now on. Wait for the yeah i've just i've thought steven was everybody but who he's not (laughs) (laughs) so so december 24th day before christmas and simon is telling harry that he wants him to stay and live at gorston hall with him and harry's kind of saying alfred's gonna hate that he's gonna be so mad and simon goes who cares what alfred thinks here i'll summon him and tell him right now that this is what it's gonna be like and so he calls him up and sure enough Alfred's pissed off and he kind of goes off about how, but, but Harry, what about all these things that Harry did to you? And I think it comes out either now or maybe a little bit later that Harry had like forged a check from his father and like stolen a whole bunch of money back in maybe his early twenties. But Alfred again, kind of, as we got that description from Lydia before he won't go against his father. So he kind of just like rolls over and lets, is like fine with Harry staying. Not fine, but he's, he'll accept it. I guess he kind of has to, doesn't he? Yeah, it's not his house. Yeah. Wait, is Harry? Harry's also younger, right? I think Alfred's the oldest. Harry's maybe the second oldest. Oh, okay. But I think they're all all around forty-ish. Oh, okay. Maybe a little, maybe a little younger. But I don't think any of them are that old or that young. They're middle-aged. Some might say. <laughs> Perfect. Wait, how old is Pilar then? Because I'm guessing that Jennifer was also around 40-ish, like the daughter that died. Yeah, I think maybe she's like 18 to 21. Okay, so like pretty young. Okay. Yeah, she's old enough that she wouldn't have needed to be like a child of the 
the state. So both oh, right. both her father died a couple years after she was born, and then her mother had died recently. That's like a couple of years ago. Yeah, but yeah, she's somewhere at the age where she wouldn't have needed to be taken care of before. So okay. So they, Harry and Alfred, leave the room, and as they leave, Simon tells Horbury to he wants them everyone to come up to his room after lunch and he wants Horbury to make noise so that he knows that they're all coming he wants to be like warned in advance <laughs> okay yeah we're like what is he planning you know mm. want to take a guess there's no no hints to this that this is a okay. shot in the dark yes. all right let me see if i can get this <laughs> he has changed his will <laughs> uh-huh wait actually and why does he why does he want to be warned in advance because he needs to burn the old will right when they walk into the door. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we find out pretty quickly because so everyone everyone comes up to his room after lunch and he's on the phone with his lawyers telling them that he wants them to come visit him after Christmas to change his will. It's not bad. There you go. Good. Um, yeah, so, so it's exactly right. And so he wanted that advance notice that he could call his lawyers and ha- have them on the phone when everyone walked in oh. because he wants to get there. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so he, he, after he says he wants to change his will, he basically goes on to insult all of his kids, telling all his sons that Pillar is twice as good as any of them. He's saying like, she's twice as good as any of you men. And not just that, but then he kind of goes in on all of them individually to some degree. Like, he he knows their weak spots and he plays to them. So, George is, um, he's getting, he says that George should get his wife to economize more. He's kind of jabbing. He knows, he knows that George is the one that saves money. And he knows that his wife spends money. So, he's kind of, he's jabbing there. And he... He says that David, he says to David, your mom was a louse. So he like insults their mother, which he knows he'll look at David. And he calls Harry useless. He says he's never been good for anything. What what has he done with his life? And then Alfred, just the general, I don't know. He's always insulting Alfred, I feel like. <laughs> Nothing super new there. So that's pretty, not rude, but like, I don't know, atrocious. Like pretty bad. Didn't he just ask Harry, didn't he just ask Harry that, he wanted him to stay or yes. to stay yeah exactly. exactly there's this really confusing dynamic of was was he being truthful it seems like he likes he sees the most of himself in harry so you would think that he likes harry the best but this speech made it sound like he doesn't even like harry hmm. why does but he like confusing. pilar so much weird yeah has he, good question has he met her, her before i don't think any of them have oh hmm. okay the mother what was her name? She doesn't. She's Jennifer, dead. right? Jennifer. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Jennifer had married this Spanish man, something, Mister Stravados, whatever his first name was, uh, and he hadn't been. The family hadn't deemed her husband suitable, so she had kind of been cut off to some degree mm-hmm. when she went to live in Spain because her her father hadn't approved maybe of the marriage, and so that's there. That's why they had had this like disconnect or this um, loss of connection a little bit. Okay. Okay. But then they somehow got re reconnected yeah i guess they knew they knew where she lived like they knew the estravados name and i think simon was maybe having this feeling of none of his other kids had like he doesn't have grandkids from any of his other children okay 
Uh, and so he's upset that no one's going to carry on the Lee name and not that Pilar will because she's an Estravados, but it's that idea of having someone who's a part of your lineage that I think is, is getting to his sentimental side if he has one. Right. Okay. So they, as they all, they all leave, the family kind of leaves the room. Hilda hangs behind and she's, she's kind of telling Simon that she's, scared and he goes what you're scared of me and she goes no i'm scared for you and it's this this idea of like what you do is what you get so she's kind of saying like i'm worried you're a bad person i'm worried what you know maybe what's waiting for you in the next life or that kind of thing can i take a wild guess at what happens simon dies (laughs) (laughs) oh really yeah (laughs) i should I'm going to read this because it's like the preface and I thought it was, or the, um, so this was the dedication of the book. My dear James, you have always been one of the most faithful and kindly of my readers. And I was therefore seriously perturbed when I received from you a word of criticism. You complained that my murders were getting too refined, anemic. In fact, you yearned for a good violent murder with lots of blood, a murder where there was no doubt about its being murder. So this is your special story, written for you. I hope it may please. Your affectionate sister-in-law, Agatha. Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the description. That's what you kind of get going into the book. (laughs) I just thought you'd have all the information. Okay. I'm waiting for, like, an axe or a knife now. (laughs) (laughs) So... Tresillian answers the door again that evening and it's superintendent Sugden, the chief, like the superintendent of police. And he tells, I think he sent, he gets sent up to Mr. to Simon Lee. And when Tresillian goes back into the pantry the or the kitchen or whatever, he tells Horbury, oh, that was just the, the superintendent of police. And Horbury, the, the nurse valet attendant, drops his tea, the teacup he was holding which Priscillian gets like super mad at him for. And he kind of goes, he goes on to say that the superintendent was collecting for the police orphanage. And as they knew, Simon is this very giving person. So of course he was going to give, give, give a good amount of money to the police orphanage this year. And so uh, Triscillian serves dinner and he kind of describes the situation as tense, which is to be expected. Like this, this whole family doesn't, they don't seem very close each other at all seems like there's obviously a lot of tension between them to begin with and they've all just come down from this will reading where you know they've all been like pillar is the only one that's kind of come out of this will right Mm -hmm. so was she left everything in the will like do george david harry alfred not get anything so we're not sure because so he's just said that he's going to change his will after christmas okay so we're not we're not sure what his will looks like now or what it would what he plans for it to look like okay um, I think that would be a good guess, but <laughs> so after dinner, the the way it kind of like this it works in these old books is like you would have dinner and then the men would stay in the dining room and drink port while the women would leave and go into like the drawing room or the living room and have coffee. And then the men would join them later in the evening and they all hang out there. Okay. So that's what happens here. I think David also goes into the drawing room. He doesn't stay for port. And then when Tresillian kind of goes back, it's just Lydia who's in the drawing room. 
with the coffee. He's gone back to, I think, pick up the teacups. But you can hear David's playing the piano in the other room. And um, he notes that it's the dead march. And he kind of goes, what a sad song to be playing. Yeah. Yeah. So suddenly overhead, they overhear a bunch of noises. And it sounds like a struggle, like furniture is being overturned. There's like, uh, sounds like... um, glasses breaking like that kind of thing and then suddenly there's this long wailing scream and so Tresillian this is this whole chapter has been from Tresillian's point of view so he's saying himself and all the others like run upstairs and they find that Simon's bedroom door is locked from the inside so the the it would have been like the key was still stuck in the door okay and so everyone at this point has made it up to the room they've all heard this from from varying places of the house and like I think it's Stephen and Harry break down the door, and there in the room they find Simon lying in a pool of blood and just the carnage of the room. Wait, so when you said everyone before, did it list off everybody, or does um, Tresillian just think it's everybody? So I think Tresillian, when he runs up the stairs, he maybe notes a couple people. I don't think he specifies who it is. I think maybe he says, like, he saw... Alfred and Harry come out of the dining room and they were maybe ahead of him. Maybe he saw Lydia. But it's kind of once they've got up to the room. Okay. Everyone is there at some point, but not sure to what degree, like when everyone arrived type thing. Okay, okay. And also, sorry, was the was the um police officer oh, I forgot his name or his real title. Um Superintendent Sugden. Superintendent, right. Sugden. <laughs> Um, was he still there? I don't think so. Okay. But I, I don't think Tresillian showed him out. Maybe he showed himself out or something. Okay. It's It's been quite a few hours now, but, uh, or maybe not quite a few hours, but it's been some time. I, I'm not totally sure. We we don't get that in the story if he left or not. Okay. Okay. So as, as they kind of look into the room, two people say two very specific things. So I'm going to quote them to you. David says, the mills of God grind slowly. The mills of God. Yes. What does that even mean? Good question. I think we're supposed to know. Pardon? We're supposed uh, to know? I think had we, like in 1938, we might know. Oh. It might be like taught in school. Like it might be more Bible-y. Ah, I see. But I'm making this up. I think I think the idea is that, you know, you get what's coming to you. Mm. That makes sense. Like the yeah. mills of God. God so like it's the kind of idea of like stuff will catch up to you eventually, maybe. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, this is my... My takeaway. I'll buy it. It (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) And then Lydia says, this is a quote from Shakespeare from um, Macbeth. There's another Shakespeare Macbeth thing? I know, right? (laughs) You were were not just, but months ago on, and we were talking about this. Yeah. This one's a little comprehend, so don't worry. Okay. Still Macbeth. So interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lydia whispers, who would have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him? Oh, I remember that quote. Wow. There you go. I don't know why, but <laughs> yeah. Well, it must it must be a famous one, I think. And that's part of the reason she's saying it is it's, mm. it, you know, it comes to mind. Yeah. Ooh, so it's a very gory scene. Yes, exactly. So James, the Agatha's brother-in-law, got what he wanted. <laughs> so... Now we're kind of from Superintendent Sugden's point of view. He's now he's knocked on the door four times before it's been answered by a servant. And they kind of go, oh, thank goodness you're here. And he 
he's directed up the stairs, which he rushes up and he finds, you know, everyone in the room. I think maybe Harry saying no one, or Alfred saying no one should touch the body, like no one touch anything. And he comes into the room and takes charge of the situation, obviously. And so he says he'd seen Pilar pick something up off the ground. So he asks for it back and she denies it at first, but then he, he says, I saw you do it. And she hands to him a wisp of rubber and a wooden peg. Okay. Okay. Wisp of rubber. And yeah, a wooden this peg. Pretty yep. Mm-hmm. So we're not we're not sure. So Sugden must have left at some point. But we're not sure when and why he's come, why he was knocking on the door because they hadn't called for the police. Okay. Hmm. Okay. I was gonna ask that question actually. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're in the dark for now, but it's it will it will be revealed. Okay. <laughs> so while all that is happening, meanwhile. Our lovely detective Hercule Poirot is sitting in the living room of Colonel Johnson and they are discussing old cases that they have worked on together. So they've gotten, you know, they're together for the holidays, two old friends. (laughs) And while they're there, of course, the Colonel Johnson, he gets a call from Superintendent Sugden asking him to come, come down to Gorston Hall for a murder investigation. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Um, of course, Hercule Poirot agrees to come along as well. He's not going to say no. So when they arrive, Sugden shows them into the study on the main floor, and Poirot admires Sugden's mustache. So Hercule Poirot is famous for his beautiful mustache that he's so proud of that he, you know, in his old age, like, dyes black to, you know, I don't know, because he's so proud of it and puts all, like, the proper, does all the proper treatments for it. He's admiring Sugden's beautiful mustache as well. <laughs> And Sugden kind of begins to explain to them what happened and kind of like his perspective so far. So he says that Simon had called him up earlier that afternoon and had asked him to come to the household and give the pretense, like tell the butler that he was coming for charity for the, the police orphanage. But in reality, Simon had told him that the diamonds were missing and that he had two possible people that he thought could have done it. And he, he's kind of going, if it's one of them, it's a joke. If it's the other, they've been stolen. So he's kind of telling Sugden he's not sure whether he wants to press charges yet. Ooh, okay. And so he had told Sugden, come back an hour in an hour and I'll let you know which one it is. And so Sugden is kind of figuring that it's either the two people are a servant and a member of the household. And so that's kind of the idea. If it's a servant, it's been stolen. If it's a member of the household they'll be persuaded to give it back and Simon won't want to press charges on his own family. He doesn't want the scandal, but a servant, who cares? Type thing. Mm, okay. So then he also points out it's it's very confusing. So the door was locked from the inside. Both the windows are, there are two windows in the room. One of them was locked shut and the other had a burglar screw in it, which means it's like a screw that's put in so that the window can only open a couple inches. So neither of them were able to be opened from no. like, enough, right? But the, Exactly. The one with the burglar screw, I think Simon liked to have the window open at kind of all times of the year, so it was open. But you, yeah, you couldn't leave through either of those windows or enter. Are there other doorways or entrances that we haven't heard of yet? No, we have not. Huh. And also the weapon's not in the room. It was, it was like, a, I think a thin blade or something like that that was used to, I think, slit his throat. So it was very gory. But it, it wasn't found in the room. So we're going, what happened? I, I would not have guessed this. I think it's like, you know, to the times of those kinds of locks. But uh, that's your hint. Would you like to take a guess on what they think happened? 
Oh, was the rubber and wooden peg used to unlock the door somehow? I don't know. That's my guess. So it's the it's like old keyholes where you could they're like the ones where you could like look through, right? Like they oh. go all the way through the door. Oh, okay. And so you would have been able to use an instrument to turn the key from the outside and have it look like it was turned from the inside. Oh, that's what that that's what they meant by that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and and then Slugden kind of shows the key and you can see little scratch marks on the tip of it. So he's kind of saying we're pretty sure a t- some kind of tool was used on this. Mm, okay. So that's interesting because it's like, okay, so someone took the time to, like, they must have been skilled to be able to use this tool. And they, like, why was it so important for them to make it look like, like, have the door locked? Why why was that necessary? Also, I'm just trying to think of the timing of this. Like, as soon as they heard the struggle and the screaming, they ran upstairs, right? So whoever turned the lock from the outside must have had to do it, like, so quickly. Right. Or yeah. they did it before the, the screaming happened, which also doesn't make sense. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I'm confused. <laughs> um, so then they go up to see their room, and Poirot notes how frail the old man looks. Like, he's he's very well, frail. Okay. Whatever. What other uses? Sorry. What other word is there to describe it? Yet there's so much blood. It's kind of what Poirot is noting. So it's, again, this this scene of so much blood. So then they start to kind of do their interviews. And first they interview Alfred and Lydia together. And they both had last seen their father um, after tea time um, because Simon always had dinner alone. Like he never left his room. He didn't come down to the dinner table. Food was brought up to him. But normally he would have dinner alone. And then no one was to see him after dinner. He would go to bed unless they were asked for. So if he wanted to entertain, have someone come up to his room, he would ask for them. Okay. So Alfred says when he had heard the cry, um, it, it was just him and Harry in the dining room. They were the only two two men left in there. And he says that George had left to make a telephone call. And then Stephen had seen that it was supposed to be a family di- discussion and had left. And so the police point out, when you say a family discussion, it was just you and Harry. So it was like, it was just a the two of you discussion, you know? <laughs> like, they're kind of getting to the point where, like, we know you're fighting. We can tell. Yeah. Um, Alfred had known that his father had diamonds. Um, he says they were estimated at about 10,000 pounds. Oh. But he did not know that they were missing. He had, uh, his father had not told him that. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, both Lydia and Albert agree that they think the person with the best opportunity to steal the diamonds would have been Horbury because he was he was the most in that room and would have had the most ac- um, access. And Lydia doesn't like him. And this has been, I, I haven't touched on it because it's it's kind of a, um, a small thing to discuss, but Horbury is kind of described by everyone as being not it's like I'm thinking like slinky, like he's very quiet on his feet. And they, it, he is, they call say that he has long ears. Like he listens at doors. Like, like sneaky almost or like yeah yeah exactly he'll like come up behind you and surprise you because you've been so quiet like a cat (laughs) yes exactly so they don't lydia doesn't like him she does if it was her choice he wouldn't be in the house right Mm -hmm. but because it's simon's attendant he gets to choose who his nurse is then alfred kind of at the end of the conversation suddenly remembers who poirot is he's like oh i've heard of you and he tells Poirot to avenge his father's death. So Alfred's been hit pretty hard by this. 
Or so he says. <laughs> okay. I could say that about anything I say. I'm just or, thinking. About or so he says. I could say that about everything I say. Or so they say. <laughs> you should make yeah. an entire podcast episode with that appended at every like paragraph or something. No one wants to do that. Oh my god. <laughs> so next they interview George. And so this again, this book is from 1939 or 1938. So language was different back then on like what people were saying. And so George says he is sure it is the work of a lunatic, but that is not the word that we use anymore. Uh, Shelley and I just looked it up and what we would say now is person adjudicated incompetent. Yes. <laughs> Which is interesting. I've never, it's, it, it's like, I've never heard that before. Yeah. I don't, I, 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 sorry. No, you go ahead. Oh, like, I think this is more of a, a legal term that, that certain states use. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know if there's a, there's a better word to use in this kind of context. But it, it, I was kind of reading it and going, is this what peop- is this what you're supposed to say now? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm unsure. Um, so that's George's opinion. And he, he can't say how it would have happened because the police are trying to point out to him, how could it have been someone from the outside of the house when all the doors were locked and the windows were locked? And you guys didn't see anyone leaving the house, right? Wait, would they have been able to see anybody leave the house? Good question. Because... I guess I guess there's this I we're not sure. I, I guess there's this idea that if it's someone in the household that they could have just hidden somewhere and it wouldn't be un, it wouldn't be um, abnormal for them to be in the house, right? If they came out of like a closet or like a nook in the house. It's a, it's a big house, right? Yeah. Whereas someone actually trying to leave the front door might have been noticed uh, because I'm assuming the stairs up to the second floor would have been by the front door, but I guess I don't know that. And so everybody would have been like crowded around the stairs. Yeah. yeah. So there, it is okay. this house is big enough to have two stairwells, but people came up from both stairwells, which we will we'll get into that. Oh, okay. Um, as we people. Okay. So um, George says that he was in the study, so where they're interviewing him right now, telephoning when he heard the scream, and he says that he had, it, it, it had died away into a choke, is how he describes it. Okay, so he heard more than the other people, because I don't think. It yeah, I don't think other people mentioned, like, the dying into a choke part. No, no. Okay. So that's all I kind of get out of him. And then they bring in Harry, who comes in with, like, a lot of swagger. But Poirot can tell that underneath it all, he's actually very nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also, Poirot kind of notes that he looks very familiar. And then he kind of realizes that he, it's Simon Lee that he thinks he looks like. Like, he sees a lot of Simon and Harry, whereas I think his other, like, George and Alfred, not so much. Oh, okay. So he stretches the truth a little. We know this because we've heard him talking about the will. And he says that his father had loved him and that he had, he thinks that he had probably been cut out of the will years ago because he's been like estranged or the prodigal son or whatever he calls himself. And he says that Albert and him were having a heated discussion in the dining room when they'd heard the scream. Okay, checks out. <laughs> Then Magdalene comes into the room and Poirot immediately thinks that she knows how to use her beauty. So it's kind of this idea of like, she knows how to kind of look beautiful and use that to her advantage, you know? Okay. Yeah. And so she says that the family meeting that had happened with the the will stuff had been dreadful and that Simon had been rude to everyone, everyone except George, of course. So the police after she leaves are kind of going like, weird, weird that, you know, this all happened and 
you know, Simon wasn't rude to your husband. Yeah. You know, they're not really blaming her. But also she's she's the first person to bring up this meeting. So it's the first that they're hearing of this of this Simon being rude business. Mm-hmm. And she also says that when she had heard the scream, she had been in the study telephoning. And they ask alone and she says yes alone. Are there two studies? <laughs> nope. Oh no. Okay. So yeah, everyone's going, the reader is going, you know, and the police are going like, huh, so both George and Magdalene say they're in the study telephoning alone. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But we're, we'll come back to that. That's kind of in the future. They, she also inadvertently tells them, tells the police how mad all of the men had been with Simon after that meeting. Mm, okay. So then David comes in and he seems pretty calm and... He actually describes everything from the afternoon. So he goes into more detail about that meeting that had happened in the afternoon, even even saying, you know, what his father had said about his mother that had upset him. And he is he is he's upset by two things. So first, his his father had said that he probably has better sons somewhere in the world and the insults that Simon had made to his mom. That's pretty harsh. His better sons yeah. that he doesn't even know around the world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So then Hilda comes into the room, David's wife, and she had never met any of the family before. I don't even think for their wedding, like David had been very cut off from his family. And she says that she wishes they hadn't come. Like this has been, she thought it was going to be a good thing. And she's realizing now it hasn't been, of course, with a death, like definitely not great. Mm-hmm. And she also says that Simon was clearly trying to stir up strife. And set the family against each other, like set them at odds. And she could tell that like he was, this was all a joke to him. And so that's why she wishes that they hadn't come. So they wouldn't, hadn't have played into that. Hmm. Okay. And she also, she thinks that Simon had deliberately let the family overhear the phone call, which we know is true, but she's, she's caught on to that fact as well. Okay. So she's a smart lady. (laughs) Yes. So then Pilar comes into the room and confirms that her grandfather had written to her to tell her like to come from Spain to come live with them and then she kind of tells them the Spanish story that we've heard before about like you know the driver being blown up and having to walk a bunch and finally making it to England like that whole crazy thing (laughs) weird that she's telling the police that (laughs) yeah yeah who knows how that comes up I guess she's kind of describing how why she's here I don't know that, that she's seen death before maybe oh okay and she says that she really, she actually had really liked Simon. She's like, I didn't love him, but I, from, from what I met of him, I did like him. And she, she kind of says that he, she can tell that when he was younger, he would have been handsome, like, like Superintendent Sugden, which really embarrasses Sugden and Poirot kind of laughs about it because he turns like bright red. And so it's this idea that because she's Spanish, she's able to like, like the culture there is like, they talk more openly about feelings and like, um, yeah, like people looking nice I guess like if you're handsome whereas in England mm-hmm. that's like not the culture yeah it, I, I've heard that it's hard for British people to take compliments I don't know if yes. that's true or not but <laughs> but yeah so that that kind of stereotype is being played up here as well mm-hmm. and then she describes that afternoon meeting family meeting she had enjoyed it because she likes to see people angry and none <laughs> of it was directed at her <laughs> And she says that she had been in her room putting on makeup when she had heard the scream. She had been planning to go down to the ballroom area to dance with Stephen when she had heard the scream. Okay. 
<laughs> so the next person comes in and Colonel Johnson thinks that it's Harry before he then realizes that it's actually Stephen Farr. And he explains to them why he was there. So he's kind of saying that he had, you know, he had come up from South Africa to meet Simon after like his, his father Ebenezer had talked about Simon his whole life, yada, yada, yada. And then he'd had a chat, him and Simon had talked that morning. That was the last time he saw him. And we don't know what they talked about, right? Wait, do we? No, I think it was just about, I think it was about South Africa and uh, about the people, like the people, mutual acquaintances that they would have had and stuff like that. Talking about the old days. Okay. Um, And then he says that he had been in the ballroom putting records on and waiting for Miss Estravados when he had heard the scream. And then Poirot asks about Simon's character and he's kind of saying, you would have heard from Ebenezer about about Simon. And so Stephen admits that he does know a little bit. He's saying that Simon wasn't highly moral. And he kind of could wait years to get revenge. Like he was like, it's like the elephants can remember from our last. And that wasn't our last story. That was, that was with someone else, wasn't it? I, yeah, I think so. We, I, I remember that term. Like in yeah, the it was just story that you were talking about, but I don't remember the story. Right, it, they were just I kind of did them I think around the same time. Uh, so they yours were uh, yours was the pale horse, but they kind yeah. of blend together for me. Yeah, I everything's blurring together. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on a few like podcast binges of yours because like sometimes I'll okay. I'll forget to like listen for a week or two, and then I'll just <laughs> listen to all of it at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the moons are blend together, and you're like, "Who are we talking about?" Yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, so they're kind of saying that Simon could wait years to get revenge. Like he he remembered if you did him wrong, he remembered, and he would he would get you back. You know. <laughs> so then they interview Tresillian again, just to double check that all everyone's stories kind of latch up, uh, line up, and. He he's the one that realizes that Horbury was scared of the police. Like that's what happened when he dropped the teacup. Is he was he heard the word police and thought they were after, like maybe they're after him, and then had gotten calmer when he said, "Oh, he's just here for the police um, orphanage charity." Yeah. But Tresillian also says he saw it was Albert. Oh, not Albert. It was Horbury's night off, and so he had seen him leave through the the back door. And there's no way he could have gotten back into the house without being seen because he only had a key to the back door and the cook and maid were in the kitchen where the back door is the entire night. So there's no way he could have gotten back in. So that, that's like Tresillian kind of going, I wish it was Horbury, but make it easy, but I don't think it's him. I feel like Horbury has some side story about like maybe having done something in the past that where he would be scared of police. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's on the run. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, I feel like that's not part of this story. That's my, that's my, um, not assumption. That's my guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then they interview Harbury. So he comes into the room and he says that he had left two sherry glasses with Simon before leaving and that none of the family was, this is where he's kind of explaining, none of the family was to see Mr. Lee or to see Simon without being invited in the evening and that he knows if no one was invited, but but Simon could have done it on his own. And then he says he didn't know about the diamonds. He hadn't seen them before, but Poirot catches him in a trap by saying something about like, when did you find out that the diamonds were missing? Like he kind of circles back to it. And Horbury admits that he had overheard a phone call where 
Simon had been talking about robbery and diamonds, and I don't know who to suspect. Oh. So this, wait, sorry. This is all happening on Christmas Eve, and... Right, yeah. And Simon shows Pilar the diamonds the day before. Right. Okay. So all of this stuff is happening today? Like, whoever you overheard Simon talking about Yes. Today? This day, this afternoon. Oh, okay. Yeah, on the 24th. Okay. So after Horbury leaves, the last thing they do is they find the will. And it's, it is, it's 15 years old. And the way it's divided is that half goes to Alfred and the other half is split between the rest of the children. So Harry, George, David, and the daughter Jennifer. But since Jennifer is dead, it will just be split between the three brothers. Oh, so Pilar gets nothing. Pilar gets nothing. The, the idea is that had Jennifer been alive, Jennifer would have gotten her half. And then if she had died, Pilar would have inherited. But because because Jennifer died first, she's it's not written in. Okay. So now we move on to the next day. We're on port, part four, December 25th. All right. So Poirot is outside when Magdalene comes out to see him. And so this is Poirot would ask to like stay at the house because the way he kind of invest not investigates but like learns things is people come to talk to him or he hears conversations or things like that and so this is what he had been hoping for okay and so magdalene clearly wants to throw suspicion on pilar like she won't say i think it's pilar but she just she's noting that uh she's like calling out her antecedents and antecedents you know her ancestry is that oh, oh. wait and antecedents oh gosh I don't know but her ancestry like the idea of like she's kind of saying her father her father like was known to have like you know there were were a lot of problems with him do you think like Pilar inherited any of that and she's also pointing out that Pilar like the fact that she had picked something up off the floor on the day like of the crime and so was she trying to like cover something up and Poro hadn't heard about what was picked up to this point. So he's curious. He's going to have to ask Bugden what it was. Okay. So shortly after that, after Magdalene leaves, Superintendent Sugden comes outside to Poirot and admits that Horbury's alibi holds up. He had gone on a date with a girl to the movie theater and several people had seen him in the movie and the girl backs up his story. So it's kind of too bad, but he's out of it, is what they're saying. Okay, so Horbury's out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Out of the equation for the murder, but not the... Uh, okay okay mm-hmm. he Sugden also says that he's looked into the phone calls and he says that only one phone call was made and it looks like it was made by George because it was to like some PM MP whatever thing some some parliament person okay only one right so we we had thought there were two right both George and Magdalene said they had made phone calls wait Meg and they're they're married right right okay okay then Poirot brings up the things that Pilar had picked up and Sugden pulls an envelope out of his pocket and shows him it's this piece of rubber that looks like, I think they say it was cut from like a medicine bag or something. I don't know what it is, but some rubber bag. Okay. <laughs> I, I really don't know. And then it's like just a, a wooden peg. And he says to Poirot, like, I honestly don't think it means anything. You can keep them if you want. I'm really trying to figure out what those are meant for. <laughs> yeah. So at this, at this point, Sugden and Poirot kind of talk over possibilities in the case, which I, I'm not going to talk about. I'm just going to open the floor to you if there's anything you want to talk about or are thinking right now about anything. Okay. 
Okay, so one, that rubber and wooden peg thing. I I know it should be important, but I have no clue what it can mean. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I did underline this thing. So Horbury said that he overheard a phone call about stolen diamonds. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking in the, f- well, even nowadays, right? Like phone call or phones in houses are all connected. So if, mm-hmm. if there's more than one phone and you, like one person's on a call and somebody else picks up, they can overhear the whole call, right? Ah, uh, yeah. So I'm thinking that either George or Magdalene did that. So they were maybe oh, in the study on a phone, but they weren't necessarily phoning somebody. They were just overhearing or eavesdropping. But I don't know. So that that's possible, but I also point out Horbury wouldn't have been in the house at that point. He'd already left for the movie theater. Oh, shit. So the phone call he overheard was likely earlier in the day, earlier in the afternoon. Ah, okay, never mind. <laughs> um, I... I not to say what you're saying isn't valid. It just could be more than Magdalene and George. Ah, okay. Okay, yeah. Also, what if Magdalene is, like, cheating on George with another MP and, like, so she was calling them drama? Ooh. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. She does have those vibes. Mm-hmm. I, I read the book, but I can tell you that, yes, th- those vibes are correct. <laughs> Should I base all of this just off of vibes? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's how I do my sleeping. Sweet. <laughs> What's their astrological sign, though? Mm. Like, if they're a Capricorn, then, like, I can see it. But if they're, like, a Gemini, mm, I don't know. Oh, that's so nice of you. I'm a Gemini. <laughs> hey, I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, it is how we will base it off of then. Sweet. Shelly's the person. I'm not. I'm the murderer. <laughs> Trick. Oh my goodness. You thought it was someone in this story, didn't you? <laughs> is this story based off of your life? Oh man. <laughs> okay. So that's so, yeah. That's all I have. <laughs> okay. You're just thinking. You're just thinking about them too being the kind of the who you're you're leaning towards a suspect yeah oh actually no i forgot about something so Mm -hmm. people kept saying that there was so much blood and i know that the human body does contain a lot of blood but what if (laughs) there was more of it (laughs) what if this is a whole conspiracy thing and simon's not actually dead he just poured a lot of like blood like substance around him who knows (laughs) have they even moved the body at this point (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna say yes. Oh, okay. Uh, so he is indeed I, dead. I I think he is dead. I, it's I've, good. It's a good theory. I've definitely got the blood. <laughs> okay, okay. I've been listening to too many conspiracy theory podcasts. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just ignore I, me. Unless, unless, unless the police. Well, I guess if the police are in on it and are just going along with all of this, mm, yeah, the things they are trying. Confirming that he's dead. Oh, okay. So, Superintendent Sugden and Poirot have been discussing, and Poirot asks Sugden for like the local perspective because Sugden is from around these parts, and he says that Simon was super generous, but he'd been very bad to his wife, and he'd slept around a lot, and was kind of like super proud of the fact that he'd slept around a lot, but also that if he 
they wouldn't say it this way. They'd say it in like, quote unquote, if he got into trouble. But basically, it's if he knocked up a woman, he'd make sure that she like got married and like give her like money and stuff like that. But he wouldn't raise the child with her. How would he make sure that she got married? I don't know, like set her up. Like the I, I guess in this time period, it was like you couldn't be single with a kid. Yeah, and you can't really get an abortion either. Yeah, so it was like you needed to get married, and so he'd find them a, a husband. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't say he's a good guy. <laughs> the idea is that if he had to sleep around and get people pregnant, he was more decent than other people. Mm, okay. Okay, I'm going back to my first theory. I still think Steven's his son. <laughs> mm, since he knocked up so many people. <laughs> yeah, and then he could set up that girl with his partner. Mm. Mm-hmm. so that's that's the local perspective okay so as, as they're discussing they see hilda is approaching them so sugden leaves to let them chat and she wants to make paro understand david more like i think she's worried that maybe paro's gonna suspect david and she's trying to like show him this is what he's really like and so she's saying that he's he has suffered the trauma of his mother's death his entire life and he may have wanted to kill his father, but he didn't. Like she's saying, I was in the piano room with him while he was playing the Dead March. And I think those that anger was flowing through his fingers into the piano. But he wasn't, he would never kill his father. Okay. And then Poirot says to her, I see that you have had to be a mother to your husband when you'd have preferred to be a wife. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So I found that to be... Maybe not a powerful line, but that kind of like leaves an impression on you. And she's none too happy to hear that. I think it's that kind of words of like probably truthful, but no one wants to like really hear the hard truth. Mm-hmm. So she leaves him and then next Lydia comes out. So everyone, Paro's impressed. It's been all the woman, women that have come to talk to him. <laughs> and she starts to show Paro all her like sink gardens. And she says, "Not don't look at the Dead Sea one. It's not, she hasn't finished it yet. Like come look at the ones that I have finished. And so she walks him through all of them. But Poirot wants to look at the Dead Sea garden. And so he goes back later and he is shocked when he holds up some of the pebbles closer to his face. Should I guess? Or should should I just let you? (laughs) No. Go for it. (laughs) It's the diamonds. Yes. Yes. Fair enough. The police check it out. And yeah, it's all like, well, they're not sure that it's all of them, but it's all the uncut diamonds. And so they're kind of going, surely it's not Lydia. And they kind of just leave it at that of, well, luckily we found them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll come back. They'll come back to that, you know. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> okay. Then they, they decide, they have like the, these phone records. They decide to interview George and Magdalene together about the phone call. Because they're like, you can't lie. Like, you're going to have to lie to each other now, you know. What were you really doing? Mm-hmm. And... First, they kind of point out to George that his call had ended at 9.04 because they really have all the phone records, but that the scream wasn't heard until 9.15. And so they're going, that's 11 minutes of time. What You said you were on the phone when you had heard the scream. What were you actually doing? Like 11 minutes is a lot of time. You were doing something. Mm. And he got super flustered and says that he was thinking about making another phone call. And they're like, really? For 11 minutes? And then he gets all like the police these days like just really this is what you're focusing on he still think it thinks it's an outsider that came into the house so he's upset about that okay but then they ask the real heavy hitter question to magdalene and they suggest 
that she had never used the phone because only one phone call was made. And she basically kind of like, you can see like the terror in her eyes when she's realized she's been found out. And what she does to kind of combat this is she starts to cry and rushes out of the room. <laughs> so a girl after my own heart. I feel like that's my reaction if I was found out in a situation like that. <laughs> I don't know about you. Oh, you know, I always burst into tears and run. <laughs> um, and I think George runs out after her and says that he's going to talk to Congress about, or not Congress, but Parliament about uh, the bullying techniques of the police and blah, 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 blah. When the police are like, uh, wife's lying to you, but whatever. <laughs> and she comes back into the room later to confide in them that she had wanted to call a man friend. Sorry, a man slash a friend. <laughs> <laughs> a man friend. <laughs> like boyfriend, but older. <laughs> But she hadn't wanted George to know about it. So, you know, wink, wink. Mm -hmm. Maybe not a parliament person, but. (laughs) But she'd heard, she'd gone to telephone because she thought that George was still in the dining room. So she thought she was safe. But when she had heard that George was on a call, she had hid out. There was this little alcove by the front door outside the study, where kind of like a closet, but maybe without a door, where she was able to hide in and she was going to wait for George to be done. And then she'd sneak into the study. So she had been in that alcove when she'd heard the scream but felt like she couldn't tell the police that because it would look suspicious Mm, okay oh yeah i was just gonna say i wonder why she couldn't just say like she was at the alcove or like right beside that instead like by the front door you know she felt she felt it was the wrong thing to say whether that's true or not Mm, okay so poirot finds lydia in the sitting room and he wants her permission about working for alfred so he's basically saying like alfred approached me to hire me but I just want to confirm with you that that's okay. And she basically says, like, of course it is. Why Why wouldn't it be? And he's, he's telling her, I just want you to think about this more because I'm going to find the truth. Are you sure you want the truth to come out? Does Pryor already know at this point? Or is he just bluffing? <laughs> Good question. Okay. Un- unclear from our perspective, but it sounds like he might have an idea. Okay. He's, he's telling her, like, I will I will track this down for you. And so she kind of agrees that it is best for the truth to come out because if there is no truth, the entire family will suspect each other and they just will never know, you know? Mm. So they'll have to go on living their lives without knowing and that's kind of worse. Okay. She she kind of she wishes it wasn't someone in the family. She wishes it was a stranger. And Poirot suggests, what if it is both a stranger and a member of the family? It's freaking Steven! Anyway, sorry. <laughs> He's the only one, right? Unless, like, <laughs> Horbury's also... No, Horbury couldn't have done the murder. And unless Tresillian's, like, Simon's brother or something? Mm. Or, like, we haven't really talked about the... Who was it? The cook and the maid? We haven't really talked mm-hmm. about them. But, but maybe they're also... Simon's children. I'm just going to assume Simon has like a hundred children. <laughs> That's a good assumption. Mm-hmm. The way he talks about it. Yeah. Like the fact that local opinion was that he'd knock up people and, you know, get them married. Yeah, I feel like you have to do that at least a few times before that becomes like a, like <laughs> <Yeah>. a thing. <laughs> Your reputation. Yeah. 
So kind of meanwhile, while this is happening, Pilar and Steven are chatting and she's telling him that she wants to dance. She wants to have fun. And Steven's telling her, look, it's going to, it's going to look bad for us to go dancing. But, but in the end, he caves. They agree that they'll stuff the gramophone with like stockings to dampen the sound. And then they go off to And so on their way to the ballroom, they run into Poirot and he's, he's in the hallway looking at, there's two portraits of, of Simon and his wife. Okay. And so he's like looking at the, the portrait of of Simon and he kind of mentions to um, to Pilar that the police need her passport. He's like, oh, I know it's these clerical things, but they just need to check up because you're you're not British. And she says, oh, OK, yeah, I'll go up to my room. And so they all go up to the second floor and she goes into her room and Poirot remarks to Stephen, isn't it interesting I think he says Pilar must take after her grandfather that she likes fresh air. And he's kind of confused. And Poirot says she's just opened her window. He can feel the draft. Mm-hmm. And then she comes out um, suddenly and says that she's, she's by accident dropped it out of the window. Um, and she runs outside to get it. So that's Accidentally dropped it out the window. It was a total accident. Right. Obviously. Right. And Poirot, Poirot says to Stephen, like, they're going to meet downstairs in the drawing room. And Poirot says uh, to Stephen, hey, can you come help me with something in Simon's room? And so as they're walking down the hallway, they had gone up the back stairs, which I think is uh, Stephen. That's that's where the ballroom is. That's where he had come on the, the night of the death. Okay. Um, and they passed these two white statues. And Stephen said it's interesting. He thought there had been three when he was running to Simon's room when he had died. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. So when they get there, Poirot like whispers something to Sugden, and then he's kind of talking to Stephen about like what had gone on and just getting some of Stephen's opinion. When suddenly Poirot gives like a super loud scream, and it freaks out the whole family. Like everyone kind of is looking at like, kind of comes out of whatever room they're in to look at, look up into the hall, look up to the second floor, and see what had gone on. Mm-hmm. And Poirot says like, "Oh, I'm." but blah 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 but afterwards he kind of him and Sugden are whispering and Sugden admits that he'd heard nothing Sugden had gone to Pilar's room and had not been able to hear the scream from that distance in the house so Pilar had said she had been in her room putting on her makeup they've kind of proved that she had heard the scream that's not true yeah okay weird okay okay so Pilar's a liar as well yeah so Poirot gets back to Alfred and says that he will solve the case, but on a couple of conditions. He wants Simon's portrait to be brought up to his room. And he also asks that he's told why Alfred hates Harry. And Alfred is kind of like reluctant to say so, but this is when he says that Alfred had, uh, sorry, that Harry had stolen money from Simon decades ago. And so again, it's just pointing out like he's hold- been holding a grudge for decades. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Mm. Okay, okay. So at this point, Shelley, we're getting to the end. We're on to the last day, part six, December 27th. Oh no, we are. <laughs> I have more to tell you, but we're getting to the point where you will have to guess. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. So the there's an inquest is held, which in this case, no, there's no information. It's just, they basically says say that Simon was murdered and everyone's like, yeah, really? His throat was cut? He's murdered? Okay. And so the family comes back to the house and the will gets read by the lawyer. And basically, we already knew what the will looked like. It's the same will from 15 years ago. Harry is super upset that Pilar gets nothing. He's like, why can't she get Jennifer's share? Like, that's not fair. 
So uh, they, they kind of ask Pilar to leave while the rest of the family discusses what they're going to do. And everyone except George agrees that they should give her her mother's share. Like they should just all agree to split the amount that she should get and give it to her. But George doesn't want to. George being the, you know, money oh, lover right. that he is, is like, I my share. Like legally I don't have to and I won't. <laughs> and, but so I think the rest of the, the family, so Harry, Albert, and um, David, they agree they'll split their amounts to give Pilar her share. Okay, that's nice. So after all of that, Magdalene kind of, they've come out into the hallway and she's kind of pointing out to the other women, like, look, Poirot was down in the village and he's brought back this package. Like, don't you just want to have a peek? And Lydia and Hilda are like, uh, no, like, it's his package. And Magdalene goes, oh, it won't hurt to peek. And she looks inside and Poirot has bought a false mustache. And so she's kind of going, what? Doesn't he already have a mustache? What's this thing? What? <laughs> oh. Yeah. What? So, wait, he was admiring Superintendent Sugden's mustache before, right? Was that the one right. he was admiring? Yep. Uh, yep. He liked Sugden's mustache. Wait. Okay, no. I feel like, I don't know why, but I feel like Poirot looking at the two, like, portraits of Simon and his wife has something to do with this. Like, maybe Simon had this this beautiful mustache, and now Poirot wants to copy it. Or maybe... <laughs> Yeah, maybe he bought it and realized, oh shoot, um, Superintendent Sugden is wearing a fake mustache for some reason, and I have I just oh. bought the exact same one, <laughs> and maybe he's related. Maybe he's another son of Al- of Simon's. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, also, did we ever find out if um if the thing that what was it the passport that Pilar dropped was ever picked up? We don't hear about it, no. Okay. We kind of just move on. Huh. Okay. Speaking of Pilar, so she she's left the room kind of as the family is discussing the will, and she runs into Stephen, and she's saying how it was too bad that she'd gotten nothing. And she's basically saying she'd wanted to get everything. Like, her, her hopes was that she could make her grandfather like her enough to leave everyone nothing and her everything. <laughs> Whoa. <Okay>. So she's... <laughs> I think he called her gold digger or something along those lines. And she's like, so what? Like, it was fun. He liked me. Like, why shouldn't he leave me his money? Because he's known you for like two days. Come on. (laughs) So to cheer her up, he shows her all the like pretty decorations that would have been used for Christmas if it wasn't such like a sad occasion that are kept in like the storeroom. And they find some balloons and Pilar is like, oh my gosh, we blow out the balloons and they blow them up and they play, you know, like the keep up game. You just like, pat the balloons to each other <laughs> i don't know i think you can picture yeah yeah wait this is steven yeah steven and Pilar. How, how does steven know where these decorations are what uh i don't know i don't know i'm not sure <laughs> it almost feels like he's been to the house before or he used um, to live there or something but okay. i don't know yeah. So, so they're playing with the balloons and then they, I think they run into Poirot and they then decide to go outside and release them and like see them fly away. And Stevens kind of immediately pops on a bush, whereas Pilar is actually is able to like go far. And Pilar picks up the wisp of rubber, rubber and notes that it was, uh, she kind of goes like, oh, this what was, was, this was what was in grandfather's room. Oh, Ooh, that makes sense. So then after lunch, they all have lunch, and then Tresillian kind of shows Poirot, he brings him outside and shows him that 
one of there there used to be two cannonballs on either side of the front door and one of them is missing and so he's kind of going isn't this strange and he's he's saying that everything has been so weird since harry arrived like that's when that's when things started kind of getting confusing i would they keep blaming it on harry but that, that's also when around the same time that uh pilar and steven both arrived as well yeah that's true okay <laughs> that's it <laughs> Meanwhile, Alfred has just told Pilar about the money and she won't accept it. She's like, I guess has too much pride. Like she's upset that they would offer it to her. She's she's mad almost. And then um Sugden shows a cable to Poirot that says Ebenezer Farr's son died two years ago. <gasps> oh he's not even Ebenezer's son. Oh man. Okay. What the heck? So I have I have a little more to tell you, but do you want to go? Do you have any any thoughts that you've been holding back, or do you want to talk about anything more before we get to the end? Uh, no, I'll I'll, I'll try to form some coherent thoughts first. <laughs> okay. So next, um, a shriek is heard from upstairs, and they all they all run up to see what's happened, and it turns out that someone had booby trapped Pilar's door. Someone had put the cannonball on top of her door <gasps> such that it would have fallen on her when she opened it. But it's like, by the grace of God, her skirt had caught on a nail and it had jerked her backwards. And so she had been jerked out of the path of the cannonball. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so then Poirot kind of asks her that she, he's kind of telling her, I think you know more than what you're letting on to. Like you, you're holding back information. And he says, I know you, you were not in your room when you heard the shriek. You were in that alcove with the other two statues. You were the third statue that Stephen saw. So oh. based on Stephen's reaction, that he had kind of realized that there was someone else there and he thinks it was Pilar. And I think she she admits to this and she says that she, the reason she had gone, she had gone to like speak to her grandfather after dinner. And so I was going to talk to him, but she had seen someone outside his door and she says she's not sure who, but she's pretty sure it was a woman. Okay. At this point, Poirot knows who did it, and he's he's going to tell us all. And so I think you have all the information at this point. If you'd like to try and yeah, formulate your thoughts, think about things, and tell me tell me what happened. Oh no. Okay. Okay. First of all, how does how can somebody mistake a person for a statue? <laughs> how does that work? Like, aren't they like white, clearly statue so, things? Clara was wearing white that evening. Oh. So I, I didn't, I could have described to you what they were all wearing and it kind of would be important for some things, but also it's too complicated. I think like I got to cut something out. Yeah. yeah. So Pilar was wearing white. That's how, that's how I think Tresillian had noted what everyone was wearing when he had talked to the police. And so Poirot had known that. And so he had figured that it was Pilar who was this third figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it was, you know, Stephen had heard the scream and his thought was on getting to the door not not the stuff around you know him. yeah exactly okay and so so i'm gonna say that we can take pilar's word that it was a woman outside Simon's door um right. which then means that it's filtered to lydia hilda magdalene and i think that's it but it feels like mm-hmm. it's like 
I feel like it's some random person who we haven't met before, but has a connection to everybody, you know? Uh, it's one okay. of those twists, but I can't think of anything, like anything about that. So, yeah. So maybe not. <laughs> Hold on. Wait a second. Is is this the same alcove that Magdalene was supposed to be in? No, she was supposed to be on the first floor and Pilar was on the second floor. Mm, there are just many alcoves. Okay. Yeah. Again, it's it's a fairly big house. Yeah, okay. It's a hall. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I feel like it's okay, I think it's Hilda, but I don't really have a reason for it. You just have a feeling. Yeah. I have a vibe, you know? I do know. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Hmm. Okay, hold on. Let me see how I can tie this in. Okay. Um, Take your time. Okay. It's it's the fact that it's it's really just Poirot's comment that Hilda had been more of a mother than a wife. Like that really stands out. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like Lydia already lives there. Like I don't I know that she doesn't like Simon, but I don't think she would kill him. Right. But Hilda Hilda's been so like in the background, I would say. Like she's for example, like they kind of caught Magdalene in a lie. Like she, she's being more, like, maybe not outspoken, but she's kind of being like more present in front of police. Um, right. And I feel like same goes for Lydia. But for whatever reason, I feel like Hilda's kind of been like here and there and like said some information, but but has been like kind of in the background as well. Right. So yeah, uh, she's been left out a bit of it. Yeah, I don't know. Ooh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna say Hilda for the murder because I don't actually know okay. I don't actually know why, but I just you know I just think that and yeah. Pilar for the robbery because I feel like okay okay my thought is she dropped something out the window like her pa- was it her passport yes. okay she dropped that out the window That's what she said. Mm. again, again everything oh, yeah. is so basic ah oh, crap <laughs> okay I'm thinking somehow the diamonds were dropped out the window and landed in the Dead Sea um, diorama. Oh, okay. So it wasn't Lydia who did it, but... Uh, but It's almost like she's being framed. Yeah, but also I feel like it'd be easier to frame her if somebody just put them in the in the diorama sink thing, not drop them at the window. Oh, right. but then there's the balloon and the wooden peg. What? Okay, what can a wooden peg be a part of? A chair? <laughs> A cabinet? Oh, I have so many. There's so many things I can't connect. <sighs> and also, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. What? And then the last person, or the last thing was, Horbury said he left two sherry glasses. But I don't right. remember hearing anything about that ever. Did Did you mention that they before? No. It, so the I guess the concept of the sherry glasses is that. Simon had asked him to leave out two sherry glasses, so clearly he was expecting someone. Oh, ooh. After, after dinner. <laughs> I thought he would have just drank more food. <laughs> <laughs> so it wouldn't even been full of sherry. He just, like, you know, you have a specific glass for sherry, a specific glass uh, for pork, like that kind of thing. It was the sherry glasses and the sherry. Oh, <laughs> well, now everybody knows I'm uncultured. <laughs> <laughs> no, they know you just haven't run enough egg in the crispy. <laughs> That's what they know. 
Okay. Then I'll keep the fact that I just drink everything out of mugs to myself. <laughs> I had a G&T in a mug yesterday. <laughs> I like drinking out of mugs. I like the handle. Yeah, they're cozy. And comfortable. <laughs> Agreed. Oh, wait, hold on. Now I'm reading my notes, and I remember that George heard the scream die into a choke. Okay, what we know is that Simon died in his room, and there was a lot of blood. They think he was his neck, his throat was sliced by a thin blade. Right, right. But we never heard anything about a blade. Oh, maybe that's what popped the balloon. <laughs> and then, and then everybody. So everybody came up the stairs pretty quickly after they heard the screams. Right. But nobody had blood on them or anything. And like for for a killer to slice open somebody's neck, like that would be that would get blood everywhere. Right. So I mean they said so. So much blood. Yeah. Okay, no. Wait, but they saw that there was a slice in his neck, right? Yes. Okay. So he he did have his throat sliced at some point maybe that yes we'll we'll get we'll take that as fact most oh. things i say are so they say but <gasps> this one will say yes okay. fact because i was thinking like maybe they killed him and then sliced his neck after he was dead to stage a scene but oh i see okay no that's that's fair <laughs> that's i'm not saying yeah you're that. right okay you know what new new story new story simon was killed far earlier uh-huh when he was actually Maybe George was actually on the phone call or something. But he didn't make a noise okay. when he died. Mm. <laughs> and then... Uh, and then somebody... Okay, okay. And then whoever killed him came out of the room, locked the door, through, like, with however they managed to do that. Right. And then staged a scream right outside the door, maybe? Huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't know I don't know why. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. Praro said that maybe it's a stranger and a member of the house. Mm-hmm. And since Paro knows everything, I'm gonna <laughs> take that as fact. <laughs> okay. So then that narrows it down to one of the people who work in the house who might also be Simon's child somehow, who knows? Mm-hmm. Or, or I mean, Stephen. We know Stephen's not actually Stephen. Mm-hmm. But then we don't know anything else about him. Do we even know Pilar is Pilar? Like, she could just be mm-hmm. some random girl who looks Spanish. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, okay. Pilar and Stephen must be in cahoots. Because <laughs> they're, yeah. like, they keep spending all this time together. But to me, it's weird because in my head, I've already made Stephen a member of the house and Pilar a member of the house. So, like, it's kind of incest me. Right. Yes. <laughs> okay, fine. Final guess. It's some random person, some random woman uh-huh. that we haven't met yet, who like is somehow connected to see Stephen. Maybe she's his sister or something. And Stephen's actually okay. Simon's son. And from the very beginning of the of the story, Stephen came here to he he's gonna do what he came here to do, which is take Simon's money. <laughs> okay. But he can't take Simon's money because of the will. Oh my gosh. Okay, fine. I give. I, I don't know. I give up. I give up. Okay, One I'll of these must have been right. Right? I gave so many <laughs> options. 
So, so what happens next is the typical Poirot kind of calling everyone into the room to, to give his like theatrical performance of the explanation. Okay. So first, first he kind of goes, okay, Mr. Farr, I, we know you're not Mr. Farr. I think you owe everyone an explanation. And so he admits that he'd just been a close friend of Ebenezer Farr and his son. And that in fact, he had found out that his father had been silently. Oh, thank goodness. I was around something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he had come, uh, he had come up to England to meet him basically. And then that was kind of behind behind all of this and so they take that and then Poirot goes okay now that we've discussed that Pilar I think you should say you know tell us who you really are and she she kind of like you know admits kind of is ready to like admit to things and says you're right I was in the car you know driving with Pilar when our driver was killed Pilar was Uh also killed and I figured why not take her passport we look similar enough and I, I'd heard enough about her family that I could pretend to be her. I thought it would be fun. Wow, she is sadistic. Mm-hmm. So as they're kind of talking about this, so Poirot's kind of going like, okay, so now we're kind of establishing you're a liar, basically. What else are you lying about? And he suggests that either, he suggests that she made up that story about someone being at the door to cover for herself because there was no one there. It was her that was there. And so she's made it made this up to kind of point suspicion away from her. Crap. Okay. And if, and but then the other thing is, is that if she did see a figure standing there, that person must be the murderer. Yes. And so Poirot then goes into. I think George gets all upset that of course it's not one of the family. Yada yada yada. And Poirot kind of tells them how there could be a case made against everyone in the family. And so now he goes on to talk about it. So earlier in the story, we were kind of talking where people were, and so there was this idea of people having. Um, alibis and so there was the idea that Henry and sorry Harry and Albert had an alibi because they were together in the dining room having an argument there was the idea that Lydia had an alibi because she was seen by Tresillian shortly before the scream was heard and so she wouldn't have had enough time then David and Hilda have an alibi because they were both in the piano room David playing piano and Hilda listening right but it suggested that Either, either one of them, they're married, right? They could cover for each other. So either David wasn't playing the piano and he had gone up and killed his father while Hilda kept playing or vice versa. He was playing and Hilda had gone up. Poirot then suggests with Lydia that she had been wearing a cape on the night of the murder and um, Tresillian was old and short-sighted. So he wouldn't, if she had left the cape hang, hanging in the window where she had been standing, Tresillian would have thought it was her. Mm-hmm. She could have gone up. And then there's the idea that Harry and Albert were in it together and they both, you know, they, they didn't like each other, but they could come to terms with, they didn't want to be both cut out of the will. And so had, you know, made this decision as a team kind of, that's all of them. Then with Magdalene and George, Parra points out to them, like easy enough, you say you're on a phone call, but there's 11 minutes unaccounted for. So what, what was that time to, and to Magdalene, he's like, again, and you were just in a reef, like you you were in recess somewhere. Like, that's plenty of time where you're not accounted for. Yeah. Um, to Stephen, Stephen's alibi was that he had been putting records on continuously. And he's like, that's easy enough. Like, you could have gone up in between those records. Or someone might not have noticed that they didn't keep playing for a minute or two. And then to Pillar, again, we've already pointed out, no, you were you were in that area at the time of the murder anyways. Yeah. 
so after after all of this, I think Alfred springs up and he says, "You devil!" Like he's he's mad at Poirot, which this is again Poirot had said before, like when he was talking to Lydia, "You understand the implications. I'm going to uncover the truth." And mm-hmm. Poirot kind of turns to Sugden and says, "I just I just had to show you that all the possibilities of what could have happened." But he says, as his final thing, we must come back, as I said before, to the character of Simon Lee himself. That's where he thinks the truth of this lies. Okay. I think at this point, you should take another guess, and then I will give you the answer. Okay. If you want. Other, if you want to stick with your, um, your current guess, if you want to modify it a little bit, up to you. Okay. Completely different guess now. <laughs> this was a suicide. Hmm. <laughs> To, just to get revenge on, on who was it, Harry? Yeah. It was a re- revenge years in the making. And I bet you there's some will somewhere else that they haven't uncovered yet that has cut all of them out. And, right. And he just, or maybe just gives it all to Stephen because he found out that he was his son or something. And Stephen's better than all of the other ones. Um, yeah. Yeah. So really... There was nothing about the key being scratched, or the key being scratched up at the tip was just like maybe from normal use. And mm. He just locked himself in, and mm-hmm. and he planted the diamond somewhere, and it was all a joke to him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so we don't find out. There's a whole other chapter of Poirot going into theatrics. Oh, what? Let's wait a little longer. <laughs> so Poirot. Poirot wants to, he wants, again, he wants to be dramatic. He wants to kind of show off his talent. And so he's showing them, look at how there were, there was so much in this mystery that didn't make sense. And the first thing he says is when I saw Simon Lee, he was a super frail guy, yet you all heard this, like what sounded like a struggle, like furniture knocking over and stuff like that. Why would there be a struggle with this frail, frail man? Also with the, you would, you would, I don't know. It, like there's that kind of idea. And then the idea that you would think time would be of the essence, yet the the murderer took the time to turn the key in the lock. Why why take that time? Like why that extra time? What what was necessary about that? And then the third thing was he was like, these the peg in that piece of rubber, clearly those have to be important, but I like they don't piece in anywhere. So it's just these mysterious things. Mm-hmm. And then he and then he's kind of diving in to just Simon Simon Lee calling Superintendent Sugden about the the diamond robbery and kind of like why he had asked Sugden to to come back in an hour, but why not have Sugden stay in the house? Like, wouldn't that be a more imposing presence to have him there to whoever the robber was to be able to point to Sugden and be like, he's just downstairs instead of he'll be back in an hour because it kind of leaves leaves the robber time to commit this murder if they're trying to cover up their tracks. Yeah. So then, so I kind of messed up a little bit. Um, Stephen Farr had not admitted to being Simon's father beforehand. Um, It's Poirot who actually calls him out and says, look at Harry Lee and look at Stephen Farr. Look at the resemblance. When um, the reason that Trezillian felt like everything weird started happening when Harry arrived is because he'd opened the door to Harry and then the next time he'd open the door it was like deja vu he thought he was seeing Harry again but it was just Stephen Farr Mm -hmm. and not only do they both look like each other they both look like Simon so he's kind of pointing out this familiar resemblance and that's when 
Stephen Farr comes out with it, that it was really, yes, he was um, his son. And because of all of this, Poirot points out, so I don't think Pilar saw a woman. I think she saw you and was covering for you mm. up at the door. And then at this point, Hilda, Hilda speaks up and she says, no, I can't let you go on. It wasn't Stephen. It was me. I was at the door. I didn't think you'd believe me at the time, but I had, I had made up my mind to come talk to Simon and to tell him that what he was doing to David and the rest of the family was, was horrible. But when she had gotten there, she says, you have to believe me. I heard someone in that room. I heard the struggle going on. But when Stephen and Harry had come up and broken down the door, there was no one in there. So she's, she's terribly confused. (gasps) This is, you know, not clearing things up. This is making it a lot more confusing. Yes, it is. (laughs) Mm. Should I guess more? (laughs) No, I'll I'll keep going. So Hilda... Hilda's kind of going, I think you're going to think it was me. I promise you it wasn't me that killed him, but you're going to think so. And Poirot said, it wasn't you. It was one of his sons that killed him. And Stephen goes, I swear to God, I never touched him. And 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 Poirot says, not you. He had other sons. And everyone's kind of going like, what the heck? And Poirot says that the, the first night that he'd come here, he had felt like he had seen a ghost of the dead man. And he was he had noticed that it was Harry Lee had reminded him of of Simon and so did Stephen Farr but there was a third man Superintendent Sugden had also reminded him of oh man and Shelly you were so close I can't that's why I've gone to buy a mustache (laughs) and put it on the portrait of Simon Lee to see what Simon young Simon would look like with a mustache and see if it looked like Sugden (laughs) oh my god you're so close. Did I even, <laughs> wait, did I even uh, say that I thought Superintendent Sugden was his son at some point? Like, I I think I did, but I, honestly, I spewed out so much, I don't even know anymore. You, I, I think you did as well. Like, <laughs> very quick, like, what if it was him? Or like, and then you went, what if um, Simon had a false mustache? Or no, what if Sugden was wearing a false yeah. mustache? <laughs> <laughs> crap okay what's going on i know i was sitting there going like don't give it away <laughs> you're very close i thought you were gonna get it right there oh, no and be like on the right track i think i think you were thinking the right thing it's, it's i i did not guess this one it's tough to put this stuff together yeah, i think i was thinking too many things in general you were thinking a lot of things <laughs> So once once Poirot calls out Sugden, obviously everyone's shocked, like lots of gasps all around. And then he starts to go into how it had happened. And so he says, we only know from Superintendent Sugden's point of view that Simon had called about a robbery. But we don't, like, basically, we don't even know that there was a robbery. Um, I think there was some idea of staging it or something like that. But it was actually Superintendent Sugden who had called um, Simon and told him he was going to give this fake pretense of coming over for the for the police charity. When in reality, he was coming to, I think, confront him and be like, you're my father and kill him. Mm. And then what he'd done is he had had all this time to stage this this murder. And so he had, he had tied a string through all the furniture to like set it up to, to tumble over. And he had th- threaded it through the open window, the one that was like open a crack mm. with the... 
room or whatever. And then this is this is the thing that I would have never guessed. You would have never guessed because we weren't alive during this time. <laughs> which is this is like I guess the I've done a couple like that are the the hundreds and thousands in Eric's podcast sprinkles or sprinkles yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that there's something called um a squealing pig which is a balloon that as you pull out the cork in it it makes the sound of a squealing pig <gasps> that was a scream so the rope had been tied to a peg in this balloon what and that was the scream and so that's what pilar had picked up and so it was interesting that uh, Sugden had shown this piece of the cutout medicine bag or whatever it was. He had actually cut that out after the fact because what Pilar had actually picked up was a balloon. As she mentions later, this wisp of rubber was a balloon that she had picked up. Yeah, I forgot about that and medicine Sugden bag. <laughs> right. Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. And Sugden had known this. And so that's why he had tried to kill her with the cannonball as well. Mm. Because she kind of knew too much. Did she? Would she have been able to put two and two together like that? I think it was just the fact that she was talking about it. Like, she oh. knew. And so it, if she kept talking about it, someone might realize, even if it wasn't her. Mm, okay. She had also, the other thing that was just too much is she had said in her first interview to Sugden, you're, uh, I'm sure Simon was handsome when he was younger, just like you, Superintendent Sugden. Ooh. So even if she hadn't meant it, it had freaked him out. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Okay. It's making sense. Um, am I am I leaving anything out? What have I what have I missed? So was um how about the, the phone call that Horbury overheard? Oh, okay. Right, right. So when I it was it was it was sugged and it would called up Simon Lee and he had talked on the phone of an attempted robbery. And so it might have been Simon repeating back to him what he was saying about the diamonds and the robbery. Oh, and so when he and he had arrived there under the pretense of the police orphanage charity, and then had gotten Simon Lee to open the safe to kind of show him the diamonds, just to prove that they were still there and everything was fine, when he had taken them and killed them. Oh, so he also took the diamonds? Yes, and he didn't want to steal them. He just wanted to make it look like... Like that was the reason for the He just death. wanted to make it look like... Yes, exactly. So he just hid them in the Dead Sea diorama? Yeah, he, he just, he, I think the idea was that like the, the pebbles kind of looked similar. And so he was hoping that it would go unnoticed and they wouldn't be found, mm-hmm. probably. Okay. But it, it didn't matter if they were, as long as they weren't on his person. Anyone could have hidden them there. Okay. okay. This is also, what? I feel like I'm still missing some things, but I don't even know what. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can uh, text me after the show. Okay. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> I, I hope I hope I've got everything. Yes. You're right. There's probably miss, missing parts, but oh, that, that was, was Hercule Poirot's Christmas. Oh, that was that was great. Thank you for letting me indulge in my many many wrong <laughs> hypotheses. <laughs> but you were so close. Oh my god! When you said that, I was like, oh, she's on the money. <laughs> I never would have guessed that. Oh, I couldn't put two and two together though. Oh no. <laughs> Wow, it was just the policeman the whole time. Right? What? Mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> there were so many random people who I thought were involved who were just like, I guess, innocent bystanders. Bystanders. Totally. What? Red herrings. Yeah. Meant to throw you off. Oh, man. Well, I hope, Shelly, I hope you do not have a Christmas like Hercule Poirot's. I hope it's um, lovely and calm and peaceful with no murder. 
<laughs> I hope yours is like that too. <laughs> Thank you to everyone at home for listening. Uh, I hope you also got either parts of the case like Shelly did, or maybe you guessed it all. And I hope you have a wonderful holiday season and Christmas. I have a Patreon where you can support this show and get bonus content. If you would like to support me, you can go to patreon.com slash Tuesday Night Mystery Club. And thank you to my current patrons who are Barb McLean, Michael Borello, Debbie Kravis, Emily Shilton, and Emma Z. You can also, if you'd like updates on the podcast, you can follow me at, on Instagram at Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I post beautiful pictures, if I do say so myself. They are beautiful. And <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Uh, last week, or maybe it's next week. Oh no, I've totally forgotten. At some point I listed reviews, but I've kind of messed up the order in which I'm recording podcasts. So maybe next week I'm going to read some reviews that I got on I on Apple Podcasts. If anyone knows of a podcast site where they can write comments, please email me at TuesdayNightMysteryClub at gmail.com because there's so many podcasting apps and I'm not sure where people can leave reviews and so I don't know where to go to look for them. Um, but that's, you know, my bad. I'm a slow learner in the podcasting field. But I'll if you leave me a nice review, I will read it on the podcast. You can also email me a review. I'd be okay with that. I'd like to hear feedback. So email me and I'll also read that on the show. If you have book recommendations for what you'd like to hear in the future, you can also email me or DM me on Instagram. Anything else, Shelly? I hope you have a great holiday season. Yes. Happy holidays to everyone and good night. <laughs> Bye. Thank you.